Ashley, and this is Eyes Wide. In this episode, we get to hear from the musicologist, performer, and energy healer, Chippo Kandaki. Chippo shares how she rewrites music history to celebrate Black women, and how she uses movement and erotic energy for liberation. Growing up as Chippo, it was fun, for sure. Um, Probably to some people, very isolated, but I had a blast because I definitely was the only child. But rarely, I was the only child who liked the only child. So I spent a lot of time alone in my room, just looking up stuff and going to the library, being a nerd. (laughs) That's what it was like growing up. Nice. What would you look up at the library? Um, I liked a lot of uh, books on history and music. So this is how it would go. I remember I definitely had a pattern because we didn't have cable in the house. So on Sundays, the info commercials came on. And you know how they have like selling the box set CDs for like music from the 60s or like all these different eras of music, psychedelic music. And so I would literally, you know, that point where the... The letters scroll, and scroll, and scroll, and I would try to write down as many songs as I could and band names, and I would go to the library, get on the computer, research, find books about the genre or about the band, and just, like, check them all out, and then, like, read or check documentaries out about things. So that's the type of stuff I would do, because I wasn't really into, like, fiction books. I was more so into, like, historical things specifically, about music. Yeah. So. Uh, how, how old were you when you going to like the library to do that? Um, it was like between, say between like 10, 11 to like, yeah, all the way until I got older, till I got a laptop. <laughs> so yeah, that was probably like when I was 16, 17. So, yeah. From 11 to 16. That's adorable. Mm-hmm. Do you remember like when your love of music began or when that moment for you where you mm-hmm. fell in love with yeah I do remember because uh, you know growing up I just kind of listened to whatever you know was around me but I think it was some point like the library because we didn't have a computer in our house where I just start like looking up things and I think I was kind of into like the little emo bands like Green Day and and uh, my romance, so embarrassing. <laughs> but it was, so that was like the beginning. That was like my introduction. But then the actual moment where it really like clicked uh, was at some point in middle school, I was watching a local television, television show that played indie films. And there was a film called Suburbia, not the one, the one that's more mainstream. There's another film called Suburbia that's about these punk you know, punk kids in the 80s. And it was made with, like, actual punk kids. And I saw TSOL, a hardcore band, singing, singing, I can't remember this, uh, Darker My Love. Hmm. And and that's what it was, the show. And I was like, 
what is that? <laughs> I got to find out about this. I've never seen anything like this in my life. And from there, that's where, like, my love and interest from music deepened. And mm. it went from punk to psychedelic to mm. all types of shit. Ballet funk in Brazil. Like, I just took off, like, mm. all types of stuff. So, yeah. How old were you when you saw that show? I was 12. Uh, yeah, I was 12. That's cool. Yeah. So now you are um, so many things, but like musicologist and historian. And that's so cool that it started from such a young age. And and now you, yeah. seems like you're focused on kind of documenting and uplifting these like mm-hmm. unsung heroes of the mm-hmm. The music world. What do you feel like compels you to like research and document these these women? What compelled me? I I don't know what necessarily led me to doing that per se. It just made sense at the moment because it wasn't something that I was planning. Um, but when I was working with the the film noir exhibition at the CAC. Uh, McAleen Thomas's exhibition, I was definitely really inspired by what she was doing, which was very similar. I mean, pretty much, you know, what she does is highlight Black women in mainstream media, you know, in a very uplifted way that they haven't been showcased and highlighted before. And I've always, you know, with everything that I my interest in the music I love, I always love funk. And it, the what I was into at the time that I saw that was very much in line with what I was seeing with her work. And as I was digging roots, digging up roots of New Orleans music and like really just understanding like women's roles and the music industry and, but specifically the funk, the reason why I was interested in uplifting those women because funk is a black genre and there were a lot of Black women who contributed to the genre but did not get recognition. And I think it's more easy for people to focus on Black people being unsung in predominantly white industries rather than in our own communities because it kind of gets way more overlooked because then it comes from, it's, comes from being a thing of uh, what some people may call white supremacy to patriarchy. And because that's just kind of, because it's like, it's happening in our own communities. So mm-hmm. I was just kind of like, I think it's important for me to do this because nobody is uplifting them the way they should be. And they are, you know, they're older now, you know, and I'm not, I want to celebrate people while they're here. And so, and also just let people know who don't know anything about it, how they contributed, not just to the genre, but to society as a whole in ways that, you know, you would never have thought. Yeah. What do you feel like has been one of your most, like, rewarding points in in your research or in your publishing of, of these women? Most rewarding. I mean, what's always rewarding is, you know, I guess the most rewarding thing about publishing anything about these women in the funk genre is one, either people's responses saying, I didn't know, you know, people learning something from the post. And the other uh, response is the women themselves seeing it and just, you know, because 
it's not just that I want to educate other people, but I also want other women, the women that I'm posting about, to see themselves uplifted in a way that they haven't been before and by another Black woman. And so that's important to me. And those those are the main things that are rewarding when I do what I do, mm. at least so far. Yeah. yeah. That's beautiful. Mm. <laughs> and then you're also involved in like the dance aspect and performing and teaching. Do you feel like your love or interest for in dance kind of came along at the same time as music in your life? Yeah, it always has been together, but I never really thought about it in that way until recently. <laughs> because the thing is, I always dance. Like that was literally like, what everybody has always known me for was just dancing. And my love for music is based off of not just me liking the feeling from a song, but from the actual movement, me moving to it. You know, it's a how my body reacts to the song. And so growing up, you know, even if I was listening to punk music, like if I'm not slamming or if I'm not... You know, or if I'm not hitting the Britney Spears fucking choreography or something, like I'm probably not listening to it. So it always went hand in hand, but I didn't realize it until recently. And so with everything I do, I incorporate dance. So even with film funk, like me channeling music or rare grooves through dance, like me using my body as a tool to do the work that I'm doing, not just with film funk, but also with the healing aspect, healing sacral chakra or performing, channeling mm. energy. Mm-hmm. So it intersects with everything. And that's what music, the primary, like when you go to the primary sense music, it was communal. Mm. It was also in traditions, in most traditions, like place where the community came and danced together. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's the root of music. Yeah. And how, how have you experienced like that in your life, the healing aspect of dance? Um, that didn't come around so recently, honestly, because I never thought, I knew that I liked to dance, but I never was like, I'm going to be, you know, trying to heal my sacral chakra. I never thought about anything like that. I definitely did not vision. It just came about when I was going through like a spiritual transformation in my life and just coming into myself a certain type of way about two, maybe three years ago. And, um, you know, with the help of like some spirit guides, like I was able to understand like what I was actually supposed to be doing with my dance abilities. And I was supposed to help people be comfortable in their bodies and their self mm-hmm. with their sacral and their own self-esteem and moving and just moving throughout their lives. And I realized I had that gift. So I was like, okay, let me do it. And that's just kind of how it came about. And right now I'm still um, trying to find a balance because, you know, I'm always going to be a student in life, but it's still kind of new for me being a teacher and sometimes being a teacher of a sort, you can forget about yourself because you're so focused on like, you know, helping everybody else that you start to deplete. So it's just finding that balance between the two. Yeah. Mm, Tell me about your spiritual transformation period. What was that like? Um, It was interesting. Uh, 
think I was at a point where I was realizing certain things in my life weren't working anymore. And I guess I never realized how much my insecurities and the lack of value I had for myself was holding me back. And just getting into like certain spiritual practices, like honoring my ancestors, altar work and things like that, um, just to be more connected with my bloodline. And so I spent a lot of time doing that type of work and uh, really activating my dreams and my intuition so I could be more clear about the things that I'm doing. And that's pretty much what it was. And it's still a journey now, but that's like how it started two years ago. Yeah, cool. I found like it seems sometimes the most transformational healing times have come Mm -hmm. after some of the hardest times. (laughs) What do you feel like has been like your hardest time in your life so far? Hmm. The hardest time. Mm -hmm was challenging. Yeah, I feel like I was thinking about that a lot recently, but maybe ah, the most challenging time. I definitely had a few different obstacles in my life, but the most challenging time would probably have to be, it was definitely a challenge. Uh, it wasn't too much, too long before I, uh, COVID happened. And I was, I was transitioning from my job at the newspaper the New Orleans Tribune into something like I didn't know. And then at the time I left my place that I was living and I was in between places. You know what? I just remember what the hardest time was. It wasn't that. The hardest, the two hardest times was right before COVID, literally when I was working on Micheline Thomas's exhibition, because what happened in the long story short was that all the work fell on me for the whole museum. And uh, I was getting underpaid, overworked, and uncredited. And I was also, my living situation was compromised. So traveling to get to work, basically holding together this whole programming together, um, an exhibition, X, Y, and Z. And I think it got so bad to where I remember my body actually tensed up so much to where I couldn't even stand up straight because it was it was that extreme because that's how much that's how much I was really doing. Just imagine commuting to a job two hours there and back by bus and then having to deal with basically being a project manager, a public programming coordinator, and help being a content director for a store and getting not underpaid and not credited. So, and uh, my body was like, and also being thrown into an industry I know nothing about. So just holding all of that on my shoulders was a lot. And I was so thankful by the time uh, COVID happened because it took everything away from me, which is really what I was low-key praying for because then now this is the perfect excuse to only focus on me and what I need to do in this lifetime which I never did so Hmm. yeah and do you feel like you had a spiritual transformation after after that point yeah absolutely I did have a spiritual transformation I mean most importantly I had to learn like all 20 that was 2020 yeah was it 2020 because it's 2021 now yeah Yeah. I don't know the years anymore, but yeah, it was the start of a new decade. Absolutely. And I really had to learn how not understanding to value myself, but also understanding that and how I take care of myself and putting myself first in that type of way. And that means the rest. 
which is a hard thing for me to understand. I think a lot of people could relate to that. Like during COVID, like I was still waking up, like nervous that I was late for a meeting. And it's like, actually, like I was late for something. It's like, you're not, you need to rest. It's okay if you get too tired, don't overexert yourself. Put you first, take care of yourself, root chakra. What do you need? Take care of your needs, your basic needs, stuff like that. And it can be hard because, you know, especially living in a place like America, you always feel like you have to be productive Mm -hmm. all day, every fucking day. And it's like, that's not realistic, nor is it healthy. And you're not going to be able to operate the way you need to unless you take that time to yourself and... I think that's been a huge transformation in doing that and also respecting myself in a way that I haven't before. So, yeah. In your background in school, you studied film. Mm -hmm. What do you feel like film gave you or has it shaped your perspective on life? Well, being in film school was good because it helped me understand certain logistics in production, which will come in handy when I'm making my films and when I'm doing my or as I'm doing my performances, like understanding production and stuff, because with actual filmmaking, a lot of stuff I had to learn just on my own doing things. But I think film really helps me in understanding, understanding production and also storytelling, which is why I got into a film because I really like storytelling and I really like character development. And I think that's lacking in a lot of art in general nowadays, especially in pop culture. You know, it doesn't really exist. And um, that's definitely something I'm incorporating in my performance and everything else that I do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. For you, what makes like a good story? You're talking about character development. Is there an aspect (laughs) that you feel? A good story should, one keep you interested to saying what's going to happen next to the end and also should give you a reaction, make you react and to have a strong emotion towards something. I think that's good storytelling and to leave you wanting to explore whatever that emotion that you receive or that question you receive from what you watch even more. So whether it's not just happiness, but like if you were really angry or not too happy or if you were confused or, you know, I think having those strong emotions to something is good storytelling because, you know, it should keep you interested. And maybe that's just me. Maybe I'm a little provocative, but it should provoke you too. Yeah. Do you feel that about music too? Yeah, sometimes with certain styles of music, sure, like punk, obviously. You know, they, they're the provocateurs <laughs> of the industry. So, yeah, definitely. But not all music because different types of music are there for different reasons. So, because yeah. it's like, I'm not expecting that type of energy if I'm listening to Shoegaze or I'm listening to Bossa Nova. I'm not looking for that energy. I'm looking for something else. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So after your like spiritual awakening and transformation, you got into the sacral chakra. What is what is it about the sacral chakra for you? I don't know. I mean, at first when I started dancing, well, I do know, but it wasn't like I went straight to it because when I first started doing my dance, session it was just to get people comfortable in their bodies Mm. but as I started beginning to like healing some things in myself um for one I'm a Scorpio so 
I rule, you know, I'm the ruler of the genital area, which is like where the chakra is. It's a better way to say I'm the ruler of, but that's Scorpio energy. And I started realizing that that's where a lot of my power was. And I wasn't tapped to it, tapped into it at first. And I also noticed people don't really talk about the sacral chakra a lot. You know, that one gets skipped so much. And it's, you know, they're all important. All the energies are important. But I really like to focus on that because, one, I started to realize that's my personal gift and the stereotype they have about Scorpios, like being like these sex guys, all that type of stuff. (laughs) I don't necessarily agree with, but I do agree that a lot of our power is in sensual and sexual energy. But that doesn't necessarily always mean having sex. And that's why I do what I do, because being sensual is not you making love to somebody necessarily it's more to it what does it mean for you I mean, for me, your sensuality and your sexuality represents life, life force, and your creativity is connected. You know, it's why a lot of people, people don't talk about this, but it's why a lot of like, especially huge artists, they kind of partake in like being very promiscuous, not simply because they're just party people, but a lot of times when you don't know how to use your sexual energy, you need to keep the creativity going. So you're like constantly, constantly, you know what I'm saying? constantly trying to like keep that energy up you know and sex is one way but it's not substantial and you know for me it's all about cultivating that energy within yourself because that's what you can that's what it's for and that's what you can do so and I do that there's a lot of different ways dancing is not the only way to cultivate sexual energy you can do it through yoga through breathing but I work with movement yeah it's super cool Mm -hmm. See if I have other questions. <laughs> oh, I know. In your like dance performances, whether like live or online or music videos, I was mm-hmm. wondering if there was a particularly fun moment that you've had that you remember. <laughs> yeah, the best one uh, so far. It's just scratching the surface, but it was dancing with a snake. That was probably the most exciting. It was something that I always wanted to do, but was also scared of. <laughs> and the opportunity presented itself to me like really randomly. And I remember I said, yes, out of nowhere. <laughs> I came to say, he was like, who wants to dance with a snake? And I was like, me. <laughs> and then kind of second guessing it. But it was, like, the most amazing experience ever. And uh, eventually, when I'm settled, because you definitely need to be settled to do that, I would like to, what do you call it, practice and enhance or just train to be a snake charmer, Mm. basically, and incorporate dancing with snakes in in my, um, you know, in my performance. But, you know, I can't be a nomad like I am now because, you know, it's a pet. You have to, it's it's your animal. It's your companion. So you have to... (laughs) Get a snake carrier for the Yes, plane. exactly. Right. And it's just like, <laughs> I don't think snakes can handle that because they even throw up when you dance with, when you're too rough with them mm. when you dance. So it's like, yeah, you got to be stable with a snake. But I love snakes. that was definitely like the most exciting moment. It was so fun to dance with a snake. <laughs> it's better than dancing with a dude at Salsa Night. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Was it like a boa or? 
forgot what kind of snake it was, but it was big. Wow. It wasn't a python. It was a Britney Spears mama. It wasn't a python. It was a... I can't remember what they told me. That's sad. I didn't even know what kind of snake it was. <laughs> I just grabbed the snake, but it was pretty big. It was it was heavy. That's amazing. Sure. Yeah. Was it for um, a music video? Yeah, it was for Kevin Gates' uh, Fatal Attraction music video. It was like a voodoo thing. Nice. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it seems like you have kind of always been an explorer, mm-hmm. and like learner. What are you, is there anything that you're exploring right now? Or interested in? Yeah, I feel like there's always like little directions, uh, little pockets that I'm dwelling into and sometimes circling back. Um, as of now, I feel like I've been into something. Cause I've definitely been on into something and I don't know why I can't think right now. <laughs> oh, that's what it was. It's called, uh, what is this freaking music called? I can't even think what it's called right now. It's kind of losing me right now. But I've definitely been taking a lot of interest into ancient Spanish and Arabic music mm. from Spain. Mm-hmm. It's called Andalin. Oh, I can't remember. I, didn't say, I don't even know how to pronounce it. But I've been definitely into that style of music a lot lately. And yeah, I think I just kind of circling back. Right now I'm in a moment where I'm like kind of revisiting a lot of things that have influenced and inspired me or like things I kind of obsessed over in the past. And like, you know, revisiting it and like seeing how I feel about it now and like how it influenced me and just having a different perspective on it. Because yeah, I've been uh, going back to like my glam rock bucket list. (laughs) A big part of my childhood as well, revisiting things like that and a bunch of other stuff. Yeah. Cool. (laughs) I think, um, yeah, one of the things I love about you is like the way you just kind of do whatever the fuck you want. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. Get that from my great grandma. Yeah. (laughs) What was she like? (laughs) Well, this is like amazing. This is why I was so happy to go back to Houston that time. I went um, randomly for that week and um, I talked to her and she told me something that blew my mind. And I'm so glad I got to record her saying it, even though you couldn't hear her because I'm too busy chuckling all over the mic <laughs> but she um she's from the country like north of louisiana okay um and she didn't come to the city till she was an adult but uh when she was living there she and i showed her the videos of me dancing into them she was like good you get that from me and i was like For real because i know my grandma likes to dance and she was like yeah she was like, i used to dance at the cafe <laughs> and i was like with the cafe she's a juke joint and she said, yeah, girl, I used to, she's like, shit, I used to go there and they'd put a nickel, they'd, they'd give me nickel and tell me to dance. And they, <laughs> what's the thing called? The the jukebox, yeah. They'll put a song on the jukebox and they give me a nickel. She said, girl, they give me a nickel. they give me a nickel. And I, damn, damn, girl, yeah. And the part that knocked my socks off. When she was like, girl, and I used to love that boy. What's his name? Jailhouse Rock Elvis. <laughs> Because it's like, you know, my family, like, they're so, like, you know, so, so country, definitely from a country in North Louisiana. Super, like, zydeco. That's all they freaking listen to. Just, like, and nobody's interested in art or anything. Music, they don't really listen to music. It's like whatever's on the radio, cool. They don't really care about that. So when she said that, that was hilarious to me. <laughs> and I was like, that's where I get that from. Because I, I just didn't know, like, why, what my interests that were always kind of outside the box yeah. come from. And she was like, girl, yeah, I used to love Elvis. She was like, I cut my hair like him. 
Like, just think about it. Just think about my black ass grandma in fucking Monroe, Louisiana, walking around with a fucking pompadour <laughs> and dancing in a juke joint. That's amazing. And she was like, yes. And she was like, huh, her brother, little man, used to do competitions and stuff to dance. And I never knew any of this. <laughs> and she was like, yeah, girl. She, I used to be, yeah. And she was like, you get that from me. And I was like, <laughs> And it was it was good visiting her, my great grandma again, because it was like I, I saw how much I was like her and how a lot of who I am comes from her than I did before. Because mm-hmm. nobody else, everybody in my family is kind of pretty conservative. And yeah, so it's interesting. And I'm the free spirited one. Me and my mom were the free spirited <laughs> ones. Yeah. Have you always felt that way? Oh, yeah. We I always felt like, I mean, my whole life I've always felt it. I don't want to say outcast because that sounds like so sad. Because <laughs> <laughs> now like, I was sad about it, but it was, well, sometimes with family, but I just always felt like out very individual because, you know, there was just nothing to relate. You know, no one I can specifically relate to in family or in life, which is why I have so many different types of friends. Because, and I think that's normal, but I don't know. I think it's just, I can be, and you know, my mom could probably relate to that too, but, and all people, I'm not trying to make it like I'm the only person in the world who's different, but like all people are multidimensional. But sometimes I feel like, you know, kind of in my own bubble. And, uh, and that's how I've operated with my family and with other people in life. Like, you know, I'm in the house on the hill. But also, I think a few people have told me this, but they were like certain people on certain levels of, I don't want to say level, but certain ways of creativity. That's kind of like um, the downside is that, you know, it's not necessarily being alone, but kind of the sort of isolation that they kind of have to have to do it, i.e. one of my favorites, you know, Prince, a Prince type or even spiritual workers that I know who are priestess. You know, they can't operate like everybody else does in the world. They kind of have to have a certain way. They do things that's kind of separate, you know, because of the work they do. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I think I love that. Mm -hmm. I love how you... I know it can be hard to, mm-hmm. like, be on your own, and mm-hmm. I'm so appreciative of you, like, doing the work that you feel called to do and being the self that you feel called to be. Mm-hmm. It's so beautiful mm-hmm. and so special for the world. If there's anything you would want to be, like, known for, what do you think it would be? Wow. Who do I want to be known for? Hmm. I really don't know right now. I know that I want to be known, but... And I know that I want a legacy. I don't know exactly what I want it to be, but I definitely, whatever legacy that I leave, want it to be something that's inspirational. And I know it's cliche, but truly inspirational, like something that defies the time and constantly has an energy that propels people to take it there and to break out of whatever they may feel is a blockage or to be innovative. That's always something that I want to do. And I definitely would like, I guess I would like to be remembered as a performer and for the work that I do with basically rewriting and adding to the catalog of music history and my healing work. Cause I haven't seen anybody on the big level doing what I do, you know, with people and healing their sacral. So, yeah. Amazing. 
Theme music is by Kimani Thomas, and support for Eyes Wide comes from members around the world. Find out more at eyeswide.life forward slash join. <laughs>